imagine you're an adult and you look back into your childhood by no means is any childhood perfect yeah. we're gonna have some issues later on when he's older and he's like well you did this you know there's always yeah. a thing yeah and I want him to look back and be like I was always celebrated for who I was mm. I wasn't just tolerated for what I liked welcome to parenthood where each week we explore the lives of Aussie mums and dads and what's really going on behind closed doors I'm your host Leonia Kidanor mum of two business owner and relationship coach let's begin welcome to the show Scott Mel welcome to the podcast it's so good to have you with us today thank, thank you for having us thank yeah. you so good to be back oh so good yeah I was actually just saying I'll uh, put a link to the show notes for the last episode that you were on it was actually one of our most listened to so Ooh. literally nailed it <laughs> um, <laughs> such a good and I'm so excited Mel because now it's almost like a bit of an extension to the conversation that we had previously mm. so looking forward to getting to know your story a little bit more as well but for those listening I have Scott and Mel here with me today Scott is a best-selling children's author whose empowering message has been seen almost 200 million times on social media Thumbs up to you. It's amazing, <laughs> amazing effort. And Mel is a former professional dancer turned branding and partnerships specialist. And after their son fell in love with Elsa six years ago and was subsequently told that only girls like Elsa, Scott and Mel have been committed to helping break down gender stereotypes for kids to help everyone feel accepted for who they are. So absolutely love your message, resonate so much with your message, guys. And in the last episode, which we had um, with Scott, we spoke a lot about these biases that we tend to have around gender stereotypes and things like that, also based on our upbringings, right? I'm curious, Mel, from your perspective, did you have these biases initially? And if you did, how did you start overcoming them? I think it's a bit different on my end. So obviously when, for example, with Scott, he was raised in a particular way than I was. We yes. both have very different upbringings, mm. as you can tell, very different accents. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so for me, it was more of like the bias of what was expected from me. Mm. So for me, I grew up in that very stereotypical, like you need to be kind, you need to dress well, like you need to have your little dress ready. For me, it was like having your dress perfect thing for like church and all that stuff, mm. right? And when I was noticing the expectations that I was putting on my son, I was actually thinking, why don't I have those same expectations of him to be kind, to be empathetic? Why is it everything so focused on you need to be good at sport? You need to be good at math. You need to be good at all of these other things. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that was the first initial thought of going like, why is it so different? Raising a boy than a girl really shouldn't be that different, mm -hmm. right? Why is he not expected to play with dolls? Because when you do play with dolls, it shows you to be empathetic. It's great mm -hmm. for role playing when you're a doctor, when you're a nurse, and you're all these things. We need to learn that. Why yes. can't he have the kitchen set? Why yes. can't he want to be a chef, right? Yes. So all of those, all of those biases, what I noticed first. Mm, and it's interesting, actually, as you're saying this, last time we spoke, Scott, um, I think my little one, Charlie, would have been quite young. But funnily enough, now his favorite movie is um, Frozen. <laughs> I mean, he wants, so he good. has like so many dolls that he's obsessed with. And he wants to be Emma from the Wiggles on book day, you know, and like, and it's interesting because, you know, similar. Similarly, I sometimes catch myself, but what I love is that having examples like yourselves and other people, you know, out there sort of promoting, hey, guys, like anyone can do whatever they want, like as long as they're happy, really kind of grounds me back into as long as my child is happy, if he wants to wear an Emma dress, if he wants to be, yeah, I don't care, right? You know, but it's amazing. I still do catch myself every now and then going, 
oh, that's a bit, that's not what Noah, my eldest, would would want to do. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of not the way I was necessarily uh, brought up when it came to those gender norms. Tell us a bit uh, more, Mel, about sort of your upbringing. You sort of mentioned, you know, you had strong values around compassion and things like that. But how do you think they differ from, from Scott's? Well, I mean, our upbringing is very different, but for mm. me, I speak of myself as mm. far as like upbringing. Yes, compassion is very different. Mm. I also was raised by a single mother. So when it comes with expectations of my son mm. and the kind of man I want him to grow up to be, mm. to be honest with you, I have no blueprint. Mm. So when it came to fatherhood, when it came to how he would act with my son or what, what they do together, there's no blueprint for me. So it's just mm. a matter of me thinking, okay, is this different than my childhood? Is it okay? Is this something that makes me feel good? Does it make him feel good? But the stereotypes that we spoke about, it's very easy. I mean, we only have one child, but, you know, with your two children, you com- you you kind of start comparing, like, is this the same? Is it not? Yeah. And for us, for me, really, I started comparing it to his other, other friends at school, you know, mm. now that he's at an age to where there's, there's other people around, he's yeah. a little bit older. And I'm thinking, oh, wh- why am I thinking that way? Mm. You know, so with my upbringing, though, it was, you know, I was very, very uh, in the, the church. I was very mm. in that early 2000s, very judgmental era. I also grew up as a professional dancer, like we spoke about. So everything was very judged all the time. Mm. So I try not to bring that into the environment at all. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm curious, Scott, as well. Obviously, you have such a big platform now and, you know, you're, you've got such a beautiful message, but there's a lot of people who would not agree with your message or have their biases as well. How do you, and I feel like we touched on this last time, but how do you sort of stay grounded in your message, in yourself and not let that judgment kind of get the better of you? So judgment is a tricky subject mm. with me because I grew up basically in the judgment Olympics. <laughs> you know, my family is super judgmental. Not that they would say that they're super judgmental, mm. but there's an enormous amount of shame, an enormous amount of judgment that was all placed on me and internalized by me mm. as I was growing up. And so that has been the big struggle of my adult life mm-hmm. is to look past judgment and do the things that I feel proud of, the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to experiencing that judgment from other parents, mm-hmm. you know, uh, online people, whatever it may be, and how that may get internalized by our son, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that we've been really uh, conscious about is his environment. Mm-hmm. So when I was growing up, I um, I had a dad who grew up from in the country, you know, grew up on a big sheep station, uh, mum from the middle of Sydney, you know, so very contrasting worlds. Mm-hmm. And we spent our life literally moving from country to city, to country to city, to country to city, trying to find one that would work for both of them. And we never really did. Uh, and so I went to seven, eight, nine schools, mm-hmm. some huge amount of schools. I don't remember exactly the exact number. Too many. <laughs> Too many schools. <laughs> but I learned really quickly how many of the rules that we place on ourselves and our kids are completely made up. I remember going to one school and if you were a boy, you had to play soccer. That's the man's sport. You know, if you're not into soccer, you're a girl, you know. And then I went to the next school and you play soccer? You know, what a girly thing to do, you know. Boys do this instead. And every school I went to had its own set of rules. And I found myself kind of like a chameleon, like shifting to the environment that was expected of me in each of those schools. And I was very fortunate. You know, growing up, I was 
very, very good at sports and all those sorts of things. So I could immediately fit in wherever, oh, you're playing that sport at this school. No worries. Like mm. I can be good at that too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but for our son, mm. we've been really aware of how that environment is going to impact him. And so when we are, I remember when we were in prep, when he was in prep, like the grade before grade one, uh, we were catching up with a bunch of different, you know, parents and we weren't like consciously, uh, thinking, you know, is this family good for our son to hang out with? But we were looking for people who had similar value mm. systems, uh, similar uh, ways of being excited about being a parent, of similar ways of loving their kids. And you know, often some of the beliefs may be completely different, mm. but we wanted to, our child to grow up uh, around people who had at least similar excitement of being you know, yeah. parents and who weren't judgmental of uh, the way that we were raising our son. Mm -hmm. And so we worked really hard, really intentionally Mm -hmm. to place him in friend groups where that judgment was either non-existent or was at a level where he could handle and learn and grow from. You know, those are the only times that we have really struggled Mm -hmm. uh, is when he has been placed in an environment where He just shouldn't be, you know, Uh, where if I, when I was growing up as somebody who played rugby and loved rugby, if I'm suddenly thrown into an environment where everybody hates the rugby players, you know, it's not a good environment for me. And similar for him. You know, he's a kid who loves things that we've tradition, that we've deemed as, you know, feminine. Mm -hmm. And if we put him into an environment that's surrounded by people, who are totally against that, uh, it's really hard. We had that experience where during our lockdown, during COVID, uh, we moved to a more conservative town just to be near the beach and, you know, get away from the lockdowns. Mm. And we found ourselves in a school environment that was the exact opposite of what we were looking for, where he was being made fun of, where he was being uh, ridiculed. Uh, and so we had the privilege of moving him out of that environment. Uh, but, you know, without that privilege, mm-hmm. it's tough, you know, because then we have to start kind of shaping friendship groups a little at the age that he was, because mm-hmm. he was quite young, uh, to where let's organize a play date with that family who's really cool and nice. And that way those kids become a bit more friendly at yeah. school and, you know, where we're a little bit more intentional about it. But judgment is really tough for me, you know, because of the way I grew up. I will say just one thing on that is we tend to follow the sentence of, I want him to feel celebrated, not tolerated. Mm. Imagine you're an adult and you look back into your childhood. By no means is any childhood perfect. We're going to have some issues later on when he's older and he's like, well, you did this. You know, there's always a thing. And I want him to look back and be like, I was always celebrated for who I was. Mm. I wasn't just tolerated for what I liked. You know, it's not a problem that he likes these things. It's wonderful that he's so safe enough to express himself to us, but most importantly to the people around him, Mm. you know, who might be judgmental, but they might not. Right. And so for us, it's like, we're not trying to fix a problem. Mm. We're trying to raise a human. Right. I'm trying to celebrate him. Right. So that's what we go into these environments going. Is he just being tolerated or is he actually being celebrated? Mm. Whether that's at his grandparents' house or a sport or school or Mm. after school activity, whatever it is. And Mm. that really helps us with the judgmental, 
you know, people around him. Yeah, mm. because honestly, most of the judgment, most of the, of the harshest judgment mm. that he has experienced has been from the people who should love him the most, mm. you know, has been from family members mm. and all their judgment comes in the form of misplaced love, mm. you know, where, look, I love him and I don't want him to get bullied and I just, I'm concerned, mm. you know, and all this fear is getting placed onto him. And I remember as a kid, like just being surrounded by this, you know, my, uh, my mum was born, you know, just after world war two. And like, she was, had really internalized the fears of her parents, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so my whole life was, well, what if everything had the question, what if the worst happens, mm-hmm. you know? And so for our son, you know, even with our family, mm-hmm. we had to be really aware of taking him out of environments where he would, you know, have that placed upon him, where he would have to carry those fears. One of the harshest, most, you know, horrifying, you know, experiences mm-hmm. for me was having to have the conversation with my mum, with my mother, basically saying, if you can't love him and accept him, as he is, mm. then you can't be in his life, mm. you know, and she is now one of his biggest supporters, mm. one of his biggest, you know, celebrators, yeah. uh, but having to go through that period of, we may need to remove this person from his life, even though she should technically be a huge part of it. I think that's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting, is it? And it just shows how much you were prioritizing. Really, it's all about the child, right? Yeah. Like it's not about you and your relationship and therefore actually we'll make excuses for that person because I need to, you know, it really like fundamentally mm-hmm. just shows how much you prioritize the ch- your child and the environment that you, you know, want him to be in. I'm curious for those parents listening who perhaps feel as though their children are hanging out with the wrong crowd or for whatever that looks like, right? Yep. Whether it's teenagers, wrong crowd or the younger kids mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, you know, you mentioned there that you were, you'd really encourage certain friendships. Mm-hmm. I suppose in the younger years as well. It's probably a bit easier because to your point, you can say play date and things like that. So easy when you're like three years old. (laughs) But I'm just curious, like what what are other ways we can be encouraging the right kinds of friendship the right kinds of friendships for our children? I think for us, it does come down to the parents, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, because yeah. he's still at the age to where if I wanted to, I can say, all right, we're just going to go to a play date with this person or you're not going yeah. to this person's birthday party. Right. Yeah. So for us, I think if we have the right parents involved in the situation, mm-hmm. they don't have to think like this. They don't have to be exactly like us. Yeah. But most of the time you'll see that the kids are being a certain way because the parents are a certain way. Yeah. So that's an easy way to look for it. Yeah. But sometimes you don't have that control. Now they're a bit older, so mm-hmm. they're in school most of the time. Right. So you keep, you're hoping you're like, okay, the past 10 years, I have tried to instill this. And I'm really hoping now that I send you out into the wild that you're going to be this amazing, awesome person. Mm. Okay. But he has had some situations where some friends that he has had Mm. have not necessarily shown to be fantastic friends. Mm. Right. And all you could really do is go, okay, these are the things that I look for in a friend. I want somebody who celebrates me like we talked about before. I want somebody who's not going to make me feel less than. Mm -hmm. I want somebody who's not going to think that they're constantly have like a power over me. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. So if I tell him, these are the things that I look for that mommy looks for in a friend. And I'm hoping you try to look for the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. I think uh, one of the big things that we were very conscious of mm. was we didn't want him to be, because, you know, a big part of our role as parents is to prepare them, prepare them for independence. You know, yep. you want to have those friends, like you just, you have those friends, yeah. you know, yeah. um, uh, but we really wanted him 
to never feel like he needed the approval of somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, because that's for, for me, that's where so many of our problems start. I need the approval of the cool kid. Yeah. Oh, this person said something mean to me, but I need that. I need them to mm-hmm. like me. Yes. And so we have been extremely conscious mm-hmm. about building a self confidence in him. Mm-hmm. And that's come in a couple of different ways. I mean, firstly, we have been really intentional about creating a safe space for him to explore himself at home. You know, whether it's, oh, you want to play with Barbie today or dinosaurs tomorrow or whatever, we are going to just celebrate the fact that you're playing and into something and we'll get into it. So he feels really safe Mm. exploring whatever it may be. Uh, But then we also have had times where you know, because self-confidence, self-esteem, sometimes you know, having safety to express yourself mm-hmm. is one thing, but you also need the ability to get through like a hard situation. Mm-hmm. You know, confidence kind of comes from knowing that you can do hard things. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not enough just to be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have really worked on that too. You know, uh, when he first was interested in wearing uh, his Elsa dress, mm-hmm. which was kind of that first thing that he really wanted to wear, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of fear around, uh, f- from us, but also from him, you know, around, around what people might think. Mm-hmm. And we knew at the time that if he was to go out there and just get blasted by negativity, that's going to shut that down Mm. immediately. And so the first time going out in public, I dressed up like Elsa too. And immediately all of that negativity, Mm. all of that ridicule was directed at me. Mm. And suddenly there was either like, look at that dad, what an idiot. Or (laughs) there was like, oh, what a, like that dad's dressing up for his son. That's so cool. (laughs) You know, and so, but it was all directed at me. So he got to experience that thing he wanted to do without all the pressure, Mm. without all the negativity and gave him that kind of easy step up, Mm. you know. And then the next time he wanted to go out, you know, I didn't dress up with him, but he'd already experienced it. So he was a bit more confident. I've done it before, you know, and then when he had negativity thrust upon him, Mm. which has happened in the street, Mm. like he saw me dealing with it. Oh, so I can deal with that too, you know, and it's gotten to the stage now mm-hmm. where uh, he will come home from school and he may say something like, oh, you're this person laughed at me for doing this or made fun of me for doing this. And we will say to him, well, how does that make you feel? Uh, he goes, it's fine. I mean, it's just interesting that people just think that way, you know, like, why would they just think that way, you know? And he's just really curious now about how can people just judge someone or laugh at someone for doing something different, Mm. you know? Uh, And so we've really tried to build that. And there are a couple of ways that we did that. And I think there's, yeah, sorry, just, just on that, as I'm just um, thinking what you just said, I feel like you've just played back what you said to me last time because you said as in you said the way I give him language because I was like how do you handle the negativity and you said I encourage there's lots of different ways to do it but one of the ways is I say oh isn't that interesting that people think that way and I just think like literally got goosebumps as you said that because I'm like oh my god it's now in him to already he's starting to use your language I don't even remember that (laughs) like literally and it just goes to show um like 
the impact at such a yeah. young age and now he's playing back the language that you use. But yeah. sorry, Mel, I, I cut no, you off. Yeah. I was going to say with the reframing, it's super yes. important, right? So we constantly get the, what if they're going to be bullied? What if someone's mm. going to say something instead of, well, what if they're really confident? And what if we instill confidence to where they have something to either say back or mm. most importantly, just know what their self-worth is? What yeah. about that? Mm. Right. So it's just a reframe as parents because we're constantly thinking in fear, right? Yep. Like my conditioning is very fear-based. Mm. What if that person doesn't like what I'm wearing? What if I get on this podcast and I just sound very silly, right? It's like this mm. reframe, but the conditioning needs to just get a little bit trumped mm. by his self-worth, mm. right? So his self-expression, his self-worth needs to be more important than my conditioning, let alone the conditioning that my parents had, right? Yes. Or society's conditioning on us. But what you're talking about when mm. he's spitting back this, these, these words mm. and these phrases, when he was younger, we're like, okay, we're hoping that this is going to make a difference. Yeah. We're hoping that he's learning something. Yeah. But he was still really little, didn't really know how to express himself. Yeah. Now he's getting to the age where he's at school. We mm. have parent-teacher conferences. And it's really amazing to see that even the teachers are saying how he has such an opinion on things or mm. he will ask, why are there boys and girls bathrooms? Mm. And then even the teacher was like, oh, the fact that you're asking these questions yeah. and that's what I want. I want him to be curious. Yes. And for us, that comes down to he asks his questions like, what happens after you die? Right. Mm. So instead of telling him my thoughts or maybe my disbeliefs, I'm mm. like, well, these people think these things. This religion thinks these things. Yeah. My mom thinks these things. What do you think? And he's like, well, I think I'm going to turn into a golden retriever. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, sure. <laughs> so it's, it's that, or even mm. like Santa or even things that, you know, I want him to tell me what his thoughts are. Mm. But even the other day we were watching a YouTube video about mm. crafting and mm. there was this person that had a really cool thing on their nails. Mm. And I said, wow, I love her nails. And he goes, mommy, how do you know if it's a boy or girl? And I'm like, you got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <right>. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you're teaching me, right? Yeah. And we spent years talking about gender stereotypes yes. and I still say things like that, which is fine. Yeah. But the fact that I'm like, oh, it's he's learning. It's yes. working. Something's happening to where he sees the bias too. Yeah. And that's amazing. How do we, uh, it's amazing guys. And I, yeah, I honestly credit to the, the work and just being so aware from such a young age as to how you're going to build this beautiful little human. How do we, cause I was a big people pleaser. I don't know, Scott, if that sounds like you were as a oh, yes. mate, love a people please. <laughs> I will do anything that like the cool love kids want to, yeah, like love me. I need to be popular, please, you yeah. know, and, and I just think back and I'm like, could my parent, I mean, my parents love them to death, did the best they could, but yep. could the parents Parenting have been slightly different so that I was less of a people pleaser. My background is my parents were very disciplinarian. It's like you study, you get good grades, you do, that's kind of what we need from you and just, you know, and so I did those things. But then also I would rebel because it's like, well, okay, you want me to not go to that party. I'm going to go to every party that there ever was <laughs> and then I'm going to drink myself silly because I know that you don't even want me to touch a drop of alcohol, you know. Yes. And so for me, I'm very aware with my boys that, I don't, I, I want to set boundaries, but I also want to foster this, uh, you know, level of independence and, you know, self-assuredness and all of that, that they don't feel that they have to buy into being this hugely rebellious person. I'm curious from both of your perspectives. I mean, you've given us a few great examples, but how do we foster that sort of level of connection with our children that they don't feel they have to keep pushing against us? Yeah, so uh, I, I think uh, for me it's uh, very similar to the sex discussion. Mm. You know, regardless of what 
you think about having the discussion about sex with your kids, it's all scientifically clear and proven Mm. that if you're very upfront about how the whole thing works and they understand it and they know it, Mm. they're far, far, far less likely to engage in those activities. Mm. You know, we all know that. Like sometimes it's a bit confronting, like having to have a sex conversation Mm. with your child. But we know that if we do, Mm. then they're less likely to get pregnant as a teenager, they're less likely to have sex as a as a teenager, all those different things. Less and likely to be shamed. For less it. likely to be shamed, more likely to enjoy it when they become an adult, mm. stuff like that. Um, and so I think a good example from our perspective mm. would be with movies. You know, we, uh, I am a believer that the media we watch shapes our brains in some way, the media that we consume. Uh, and uh, so I never really wanted him to get into the hyper-violent, you know, movies and yeah. TV shows and things like that. And some animated stuff is pretty pretty gnarly, you know. Yeah. Um, and, but we decided that, you know, if we were going to try and, create that in him, you know, uh, that, you know, we wanted him to have the values of watching something a bit nicer and things like that. Uh, it's going to be really hard if we just prohibit him from watching, you know, anything that's overrating or anything. Mm. So we basically decided that, well, you can watch the trailer of anything, you know, uh, and then you can decide if you want to watch it. If you choose to watch something, you know, pretty full on, Mm. we'll have a whole conversation about it. Mm -hmm. But he's never, ever wanted to watch something that we would call inappropriate. Mm. You know, like I remember uh, I wanted to watch the first Jurassic Park with him. Mm. And I have this nostalgic memory of, you know, it was the Raptors and, like, it was was just fun, you know. And he watched the trailer. He was like, Daddy. He didn't even watch the whole trailer. (laughs) He was like, this thing is, like, hardcore. (laughs) And I was like, what are you talking about? And so he went to bed (laughs) and I watched it and I was like, Whoa, this thing is like, I find this is basically like a horror movie. Yeah, this is, this is incredible. Yeah, um, parenting lens on now. You're like, yeah, Jesus. that's right. I was like, I can't imagine watching this at five yeah. years old or however old he was. Let alone Tarzan, you know? Yeah. Like, it's so traumatic from the beginning. Yeah. You know what I mean? But so, so we like establish. But, and, and obviously, we are not perfect with this. You know, no parent is. Mm. Uh, we, I know. It's, uh, but we establish boundaries of mm. what we don't want to happen. Yeah. And then we give him full independence to choose. And if he happens to choose something where we're like, you know what, that's no, you know, yeah. I, I think no, yeah. then we'll have a conversation about why we're saying no. Yeah. Uh, and you know, outside of movies, that has happened in real life, you know, a number of times where he's wanted to do something where we're just like, no, you're not allowed to do that. Mm. And we don't shut down the no. We give full reasons. Yeah. We engage him in the conversation. What do you think about this? You know, and we generally at least get to have this conversation. He understands why. Like there are things that he understands that maybe when he's 15 or so mm. he can do that. Yeah. Um, and that's been really, really helpful for us mm. in developing, oh, I'm allowed to kind of do whatever yeah. and I'm safe to explore. Yes. 
but there's boundaries. And also, if I can do anything, what do I actually want to do rather than, oh, I want to just see the thing I'm not allowed. (laughs) Also, we're very open to negotiation. Like, if you can tell me why you want to watch that, if you can tell me why you want to go there, and you want to do it that bad where you're willing to negotiate with me and explain Mm. it to me, sure, Mm. we'll have a discussion. But most of the time, he just wants to watch it because a friend wants to watch it or something like that. But when you put these boundaries in place, and also, I don't want to watch the gore on TV. Mm, so mm. he's not really seeing that from us. So yes. he might, you know, not be exposed to it. Yeah. There are some factors that because of my upbringing mm. and I was raised in America that we do not do. We do not play with guns in the house. We do not have any pistol toys. Mm. We do not do the gun arcades. And that's just yeah. something that for me and I had to explain. And I did explain it to him when he was older, mm. but we always want to have the conversation, even as, even if it is uncomfortable yeah. in hopes that when he does feel like rebelling or when he does feel like trying going to the party and doing all that stuff that he's going okay well this is why i want to do it let's have a conversation you know i never want him to think we're only these making these decisions for you because we have power over yeah that power over as adults it's like god you know and i and i and i push them i'm one of those parents that's Mm. like if the teacher asks you to do something ask why you know ask why and he's like oh i'm gonna get in trouble because he is a little bit of a people pleaser Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, but, you know, ask why. Mm. Ask your principal why. You don't yeah. have to cause a ruckus. But yes. so just the curiosity and yes. the honesty, I think, could help with that. But I think he's less of a people pleaser and more of a respect to authority person. Yeah, like yeah. If I'm someone's like, in with author- authority. authority <laughs> position, yeah, if someone's in an authority position, he's like, no, I need to listen yeah. to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good We're way like, to well, be. Let's look at the think, spirit yeah. of the, yeah. what they're saying. Yeah. So <laughs> just ask questions, I think, is important. Yeah. But, you know, he is at the age where he is curious about lots of things. Yeah. He's sees people on the street smoking a cigarette and he goes, why, what, what is that about? (laughs) And so, you know, I know, I don't want him to be like, you know, they just told me not to do it because it's bad. It's like, this is why, this is why we don't do it. Or this is why we have tried it. Or this is why we, you know, and this is is the, I think that was the missing piece. I grew up, it's like, you don't do it. No questions. Don't ask me about it. So then I'm like, Ooh, I don't do that. And I've got no explanation (laughs) as to why. Versus actually funnily enough, I've got um, my sisters had a completely different experience. They're six and seven years younger than myself. At that point, I think my parents were like, all right, Leonie's bloody done everything so you just kick on do whatever you want one so, survived right, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she turned out all right yeah. you know and um you know they could go to every party and mm. they could do whatever and they knew if they wanted me to buy them alcohol i would and so they often they'd be like oh i'm tired can't be bothered going to the party and i'm like i paved the way for you for freedom and you don't even want to indulge in it because the stigma was taken off because yeah. they were allowed or they you know they saw my path etc so i think you're right and that's the one thing I really want to make sure I'm instilling in the boys as they grow up it's like okay there's boundaries but we actually talk and explain why those boundaries are set and get their involvement too I think once you give them an opportunity to have that buy-in you know they're obviously going to probably process the whole thing a little bit differently and I think there's also that part of we're all going to be stupid at some point like yeah yeah, and especially when you're dealing with somebody whose brain is like barely developed yeah they're going to do some ridiculous things you know like don't draw on the wall the wall's probably going to get drawn on (laughs) drawn on at some point yeah and so how we react to those things Mm. I think plays a really big part in how much they trust whether to come to us if there's something they're feeling a bit uncomfortable with, yes. if they've done something. Mm. Like, uh, I know that if, 
from like when I was a kid, if mm. I did anything, mm. you know, I was in the age of corporal punishment, so I'd get like spanked and all those sorts of things. Yeah. But it was quite unsafe for me to go and say, mm. "Oh, I uh, I messed up." Yeah, you know, because the first reaction would uh, this wouldn't be the words that my parents mm. would say, but it would be very, you know, oh, you, you like why did you do that? You're a mm. bad child, yes. you know. Uh, and whereas we attempt. Mm not always succeed, yeah. but we attempt uh, to come from a place of empathy where we, you know, I screwed up, you know, oh, well, you know, these things happen, you know, mm. have you learned your lesson, you know, those sorts of things. And just trying to encourage him to come to us the next time yeah. rather than just to bite on this moment, mm. uh, which is like I said, we're not always successful, yeah. but we try. Yeah. We try that. There's yeah. this uh, quote that I heard that I've been trying to really think about, mm. and it's the connection versus correction. Mm. So for me, it's very instinct to kind of, you know, don't do that or don't do that, you yeah. know. And yes, when it comes to safety, I'm not going to be like, let me connect with you before, yeah. before you put your hand on the fire. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I do want to, when it's a moment to where, you know, he's obviously upset about something or he's yeah. done something, nothing's going to get accomplished if we're both just so angry. Yeah. It's really not. Now, this, I'm trying because mm. it's quite difficult for me, mm. but I want to connect with him a little bit more. Like, let's sit down. Let's have a little chat together. Let's maybe do a little playing and then say like, so, hey, that thing that you were doing before, you know, it's really not appropriate. Mm. So how do we change that behavior? How do we how do we go about that? You know, he has moments where there's consequences. Like, mm. I don't punish him like Scott was punished, but yeah. there are consequences. That's what I think people some people don't understand. You can still accept your child. You can still love them. You can still not yell, but there are consequences still. Mm. You know what I mean? There are, there are consequences to these things mm. because we're teaching them the behaviors, but you got to pick, you know, what's really important to us. If he says a bad word, okay, he says a bad word, mm. you know, it's, you mm. know, but for us, like, what is the intent? I want him to be, grow up to not necessarily think that he needs to have perfect grades all the time. Mm. But I want him to grow up and be a kind person. Mm. I want him to grow up and have those things instilled in him. So like the intention of like, what is it that you want him to be instilled in him quickly? Yes. But like, I don't need him to be a perfect student. I, I wasn't, you know, I don't need him. I still survived. I still thrived. Yeah. That's not as important to me as him being kind, as mm. him being thoughtful, as him loving himself, mm. you know? What are ways that we can um, have those consequences without it being yelling, screaming, chaotic, you know, or like naughty corner. I don't know if you guys do, I mean, do the naughty corner thing, but I'm always interested. What have you, what are you hearing? What are you guys doing that you think actually is, actually works to some extent? I mean, honestly, oh, we have a perfect child. No, I'm kidding. I, no, I, well, I figured. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, 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 of course no. not. But, you know, it's, uh, we haven't had too many instances over the last two years where we've really had to do something that would, be punishable. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, over the last couple of years, there has, there's barely been anything, but mm. you know, when he was growing up, mm. growing up, he's 10 years old, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, we did do, uh, we didn't do like the naughty corner. Mm. Um, but we definitely did like timeouts. Yeah. Um, and we kind of did it in our own way, you know, where we constantly, uh, uh split, uh, as, as, as a couple, like we'd have one person being the enforcer and one person being the connector, yeah. you know, uh, and you know, that seemed to be really helpful for mm-hmm. us because you could deliver the message yeah. 
and then he could go and hug the other person. The but other take parent. turns. Take turns. You know? never, so like, it was never just turns. Mel as the yeah, enforcer yes, or me. Yes. Like it did vary. Yeah. But there was always one connector. Yeah. And there was never two people just coming yeah. down on him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a while. What did we do? Well, I mean, I will have many discussions with him about the way he speaks to people or the way he does that. You know, he yeah. he's just not a rebellious kind of kid right yeah. now. He's just yeah. not. He he knows what he likes and he's tries not to be rude. But the thing mm. is, like, we can be the nicest people but yeah. and our intentions are pure, but mm. we'll come across as rude or we'll come across as something. And so for him, it's just having the discussion right away, mm. you know. So for the other day, we were at school and uh, something happened where he intentionally was not nice to some or he was rude to somebody but not in a way where he knew he was being rude Mm -hmm. so that's a conversation where we sit down and we say hey you know this is this is what happened and then we have an action so i really got him into writing letters Mm -hmm. so where he really has to sit down and if it's a friend he really cares about or even a classmate somebody that he knows like he writes a letter about what he did and how he Mm -hmm. feels about it and really takes the time Mm -hmm. and then delivers the letter. That's the Mm -hmm. way things are going now. It might change later, but for him, it doesn't work to put him in his room and not talk to anybody. He's not that kind of person. He doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. So it doesn't work for him. Like if somebody were to tell me, go sit in the corner and then you're going to feel so much better. And by the way, while you're sitting in that corner, you're going to know all the things that you did wrong and learn how to fix them. That's the opposite, right? So you have to talk to them. And I know it's hard because like at the time you want to go, you know, just get away from me. You're making me mad. One thing that's helped me is for me to step away Mm. and not put everything on him. I'll say, Hey, um, I need to step away from this uh, moment because Mm. I feel like I'm not being as kind to you as I should be. Mm. And then I step away and then he does his own thing. And then we come back together. And that's usually a signal that, you know, We've done something pretty wrong here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's step away. Let's step away a little bit. I need some space. Yes. Yeah. But you know what? We practice a lot of alone time in our house. And I think that was from co- when we were in lockdown, right? So we, we lived in Melbourne. We experienced yes. that full situation. Yes. And in the schedule that we put in for the day, we're like, you know what? We're going to stop school at like 12. This homeschooling is, yep. we're going to do what we need to do yep. and then take time away from the iPad. Yes. And we're going to have alone time. And we scheduled that in. So I think for him, he actually, when he's now, when he's mm. feeling a certain way, mm. he will take some time by himself. Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. You know, we're not putting him anywhere. <laughs> so he's like, yeah. I just need some time to step away. And I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Which is a good one. I mean, you know, and that's, I find that useful as well when I remember to do it, um, to be the best version of yourself when you are then having that conversation for it to be overly productive. Cause I find that if you're just reactionary, which I am, I'm quite a feisty kind of, you know, natural character. That's like my, I'm very reactionary. I'm like, whoa. Um, but that's my, that's my biggest lesson. Like don't react. And then you have a moment to kind of take a beat and then your child's going to be a lot more receptive to you as well. Right. It's just a better outcome. And also we have to remember that if they're, they don't have the tools to do this thing, it's probably because we didn't give them the tools. Mm, yeah. So we're putting all this blame on them because it's really difficult as parents to be like, oh, maybe I didn't do this thing. Yeah. It's easier to blame it on the small child who yeah. doesn't really know much, mm. right? So I think it's really hard to look in and to sink that in, especially mm. when there's already so much pressure to be perfect, mm. right? So I think taking a step back is easy. There's no perfect way. This is working yeah. for us now, but yeah. just like growth spurts in six weeks, it might be something completely different. Yeah, it's really interesting. And what I... I'm actually curious, have you guys, and I'm sure like life in in general, different upbringings as we were talking about previously, there would have been instances where you've kind of disagreed on perhaps the approach in which you want to discipline or communicate your message or whatever. 
Talk to us, is there any time that that sort of come up for you? And then also as a couple, how do you, how do you overcome those sort of differences? Well, I think that uh, we have actually been talking about this recently, and mm. I think that uh, we do things differently never and all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we are really aligned on values and we're really aligned on the fact that we want to celebrate our child yep. and that we are intentionally trying to create a human. Yes. Uh, and we did do one incredibly valuable thing mm. when he was really, really young, uh, which in at, at the time seems like nothing at all. And in hindsight, it's been a really valuable tool yeah. was we decided but if we're going to instill something in this child, what do we want it to be? And we decided when he was like first born, uh, the biggest thing that both of us wanted was for him to be able to be fully himself mm-hmm. and that our role was to let that spark shine. Mm-hmm. You know? And that has been an anchor that we've come back to so often Mm. but in the day-to-day mess you know uh we do things differently all the time we yeah and like i said like we talk about upbringings and Mm. it's very easy to say you had very different upbringings but like even let alone the fact that expectations from me Mm. as a little girl growing up versus expectations from him everything from the type of food that we ate everything from the culture that we were raised in like i'm um, originally from argentina so Mm. very latin culture so for us you know even that we had to come through so Mm. i would say one of the one of the things recently is our son just had surgery and in my culture, if one person has surgery, if, for example, even when I give birth, it's like the family's just in the waiting room the whole time. Mm. Like, that's just what happens, you yeah, know? And, yeah. and those things we are still dealing with. We're still learning, mm. you know, as, as we get older, as our son gets older and experiences his new, new things. Mm. And I think it's just a, when it doesn't hurt the other person and when it's good for him and it doesn't hurt him, I mm. think it's important to be like, maybe we can, disagree on this still it's okay yeah you know i i don't i don't need scott to agree with me on everything and he does not yeah and vice versa mm. you know and i think that's where they say like opposites attract right but mm. it depends on what's the opposite like yes. what is the opposite thing yeah like if we if we are opposites in our way of parenting it's probably not going to work yes. right if we're opposites in in our way that we treat people it's probably not going to work that way yeah but we don't need to be on the same exact wavelength all the time yeah. right how do you learn from each other that way and as our son is getting older well, there's a lot different kinds of learning that's happening you know, and I think that's that's a big one. Even you were saying the other day that when we're doing chores and things around the house, uh, it's important for him to see both of us doing chores. Mm. But uh, uh, Scott was doing chores at nighttime when Colin was asl- when our son was asleep. Mm. But then it's like, wait, is he actually seeing him do the dishes? Mm. Is that a thing? So like we we talk about that stuff all the time, and yeah. it's not always we don't always agree on everything. Yeah, but we always do return to a conversation about, well, what are we actually trying to do here, you know? Uh, So we may have had a couple of days in a row where Mel's doing something one way and I'm doing something differently and heads are budding and, you know, we've got that, you know, uh, Mel will deal with our son in a certain way and I'm kind of stepping in like, I don't think we should be doing that, (laughs) you know, and then the next day I'll be doing something Mel's like, I don't think we should be doing this, you know, but we will always consciously 
at some point, mm. not straight away necessarily, but mm. we do come back to what are we actually, if this situation comes up, yeah. what are we trying to do here? Yeah. You know, and at least agreeing on a base value, mm. you know, uh, it's kind of like I, I hear from people all the time who say my husband doesn't think that our son should be allowed to, you know, play with Barbies, mm. you know, but mm. I think he should. And I'm always like, just return to the base, what do you actually, what does he want his son to be like? Does he want him to be a good man? Mm. Does he want him to be like a stereotypical manly real man? Like what does he actually want? Mm. Like find those answers and you generally find a lot of commonalities Mm. there and then you can decide which of those specifics, you know, Mm. that we can just just be different on and which ones we need to figure out. Yeah. As long as there's no shame, I think it's okay. Yeah. Yes. You, know, you can both disagree. Uh, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a couple, there's a parent and you're disagreeing on how to raise your child. I think it, it because everybody has different upbringing, you mm. know, different parenting styles that mm. my mom had than his mm. mom had. Yeah. Some people are raised by two parents. Some people are raised by one parent. Some yeah. people are raised by no parents, mm. right. Or like a village around them. So I think as long as there's no shame, yeah. yes. if Scott's do, is doing something that I wouldn't necessarily do, I wouldn't be like, Oh, you're a horrible parent for doing that. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's just like, why, wait, what, maybe next time we can deal with it a little bit differently. That's that's how we would deal with that. Yeah, connection. Absolute key, yeah. I absolutely loved chatting to you guys. I feel like you're a wealth of knowledge and I feel like, Scott, each time I speak to you, I always take so much away. So <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. No, thank you. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at parenthoodpod and join our Facebook group. Until next time. Thanks for listening. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.